We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. You are listening to the Tuesday, December 5th edition of Rotoviz Radio. I'm Pat Corain on Twitter at Pat Corain. And with me on this episode will also be Sean Siegel on Twitter at FF underscore Contrarian and Matthew Friedman on Twitter at Matt F. The Oracle. Matt, obviously the original host of this podcast, formerly of Rotoviz, now the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. Matt is going to be talking with us about this past week um, and the NFL season, but also about some rookies for the 2018 rookie draft, some of his uh, favorite prospects in that class. Matt, obviously uh, one of the best experts that we have in the business as far as identifying rookie talents going under the radar. So really excited to get into that with Matt. Um, And let's go ahead and do that right as soon as I remind you that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a road of his NFL pass through the podcast homepage, rotavis.com slash podcast. Uh, your subscription will give you unlimited access to all of our NFL content, and it also helps support the podcast, which you can also do if you go to iTunes and subscribe and rate the podcast there. Also, if you want to get in contact with the show, feel free to do so at rotavisradio at gmail.com or on Twitter at rotavisradio. All right, let's get into our episode with Matthew Friedman, Editor-in-Chief of Fantasy Labs. Please welcome to the show Matt Friedman. You can follow him on Twitter at Matt F. The Oracle. He's the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs, host of the Daily Fantasy Flex podcast, producer of the Road of His Radio channel, and the Fantasyland podcast, the original host of this show, and currently the number two ranker at Fantasy Pros for 2017. Matt, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I, I should say I'm technically no longer the host of the Flex podcast. I have uh, given that iron throne to Brian Mears, who is now hosting the show, and I am uh, sort of like playing one of the analyst functions. Like I'm, I'm the new Levitan sort of for that show. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, awesome. Um, well, let's start with the Fantasy Pros uh, ranking. You're, you're obviously having a terrific season uh, with your rankings. Currently the number two ranker at Fantasy Pros. Um, 
you know, obviously over at Fantasy Labs, you guys have a ton of excellent tools. Uh, what has been the key to your success this year? Uh, what's the method to the madness here? Uh, it's interesting. I mean, I think it, a lot of it probably is uh, madness <laughs> more than method. But uh, <laughs> I think I, I use like a lot of the stuff that I I picked up, you know, years ago at Rotoviz. So I, I have a very at the beginning, like team focused market share type of approach. And uh, so think about what the possibilities are for the team. And then um, in terms of like creating projections, uh, split out according to kind of different market share splits, how I think the production will break down uh, and then go from there. Uh, and so it's, it's different, you know, doing rankings than creating projections, but that's kind of the way that I start um, with what I would say is like a very kind of rotoviz type of approach. Uh, and then uh, I, I make slight adjustments from there based on maybe individual matchups and based on things that I think might not be captured by the numbers that we have. Um, but I've been running extraordinarily hot right now. I, I've kind of changed up some of my my processes, and I, I know at some point I, I like I have to cool down. Like it's just it's not sustainable. But I've been on a pretty hot streak for the uh, you know pretty good hot streak for the past month or so. Matt, last year when we were doing the Fantasy Labs uh, contest through Rotoviz, which we're doing again this season, I was really impressed and excited by how accurate my projections actually were when I used the Labs tools in coordination with the Rotoviz weekly projection machine. Digging a little bit deeper on some of the tools that, that Labs offers, uh, which is your favorite and, and sort of the most helpful to you as you're putting those projections or those rankings together? Yeah, so we create the projections at Labs, and it's something of a, a team process there. Um, and so I think actually that collaborative process where there are a number of us who give feedback on the projections, I, I think that's good in a, a crowdsource type of way where we probably have more accurate projections than we otherwise would if if uh, I was the only one making the projections or something. Uh, so the projections there are really a, the starting point for what I'm doing with the rankings. Uh, and then I adjust from there. And really, like there are times when I, I still consult the uh, the Gillespie apps uh, at Rotoviz to, to split things down further and, and to get, I think, maybe a, a more nuanced view or just a, a secondary perspective on what my thoughts are. Um, but the models, uh, really, especially for people who are playing DFS, I think the models that we have there where we have the projections, but the you, but then you can tweak the projections on your own. And then we also have ceiling and floor projections so you can get a more holistic view of the range of outcomes for a player. Uh, I think that's really important. And that's something that I try to take into account when I'm doing the rankings at Fantasy Pros. It's not just what is the median projection or like what what seems like maybe the most likely outcome, but what are what are the possibilities within the ranges of outcomes? And then this might seem kind of weird, but uh, I, I actually use the ownership projections that Adam Levitan has, and those are you know DFS specific. But I also think that uh, there's some correlation there between uh, what he thinks the DFS market is going to do and what the rankers at Fantasy Pros will do. So if there are points where I think, um, and this works in two ways, one to gain leverage, but then also to use it maybe as a, a counter indicator. But if I think there are uh, players or maybe types of players that the field of rankers is going to be too high on, I I actually might adjust my rankings a little bit in the other direction, uh, again, as, as a way of gaining leverage, but also because I think it might be possible that um, really the market is giving a bad sign there. That's really For people who are mostly looking at seasonal, uh, can they use that with their own teams in their start sit? Uh, as they're putting together their lineup and making those difficult start sit decisions? Yeah, I think they could. I mean, so most of the questions that I get on Twitter have to do with uh, people playing seasonal leagues and they'll ask, um, you know, they'll kind of look at the rankings and they'll say, you know, like, who, who would you play this guy or that guy? And I'll pretty much always say like, you know, I'll, here's what I think, but go to the models. And so although they are geared specifically for uh, DFS, or that's maybe how they are best used, people definitely could use our models, use the projections in our models uh, to make start sit decisions in their seasonal leagues or their dynasty leagues. 
Yeah, Matt, I, I thought it was really interesting what you're saying about, um, you know, trying to incorporate the range of outcomes through the Fantasy Labs tools, also through the Gillespie apps uh, at Rotoviz, which do a, a similar thing where you can see kind of a high and low projections as well as the median. So when you're doing that, are you trying to protect protect yourself from downside or kind of capture upside? I, I imagine you're trying to do both, but what do you think has been the biggest advantage of that approach? Uh, it's been a, a double-edged sword. I think like last year I was um, appropriately high or maybe luckily high on someone like Tyree Kill, uh, who, uh, you know, maybe you could say like he ran inordinately hot for the second half of the season and had these big splash plays. Um, but I was, I think, a little more focused on his upside. Uh, and I would say like the combination of his upside and the possibility of him actually reaching that upside than a lot of the fantasy pros rankers were. So that was like one point with like splash players where it it worked in my favor. I think it's worked against me this year in my steadfastness with Amari Cooper. (laughs) So like, you know, like Peter Jennings, like CSU Ram, he's not the only person at fantasy labs that's kind of gotten screwed over by Amari Cooper this year. Like I've, I've been much higher on Amari Cooper uh, than maybe was warranted, but I, I think, you know, given his production in college and then given what we've seen out of him in his first two seasons and how young he is. And I mean, the upside that he has, uh, I just, you know, whenever he's out there, I continue to rank him fairly high and, you know, he, he disappoints me most of the time, but that's an instance where I'm, I'm focusing maybe a little more on the upside than either I should be, or than the rest of the rankers are, but that's kind of how I, I tend to incorporate it. And sometimes I'll, I'll focus a little more on uh, a player's downside too, but I always try to take into account, um, what I think of as like the probability of him reaching or, or at least, uh, veering towards that range in the outcomes all right let's move over to the blog talk uh radio fantasy league uh where you're currently representing rotavis radio um and you're currently in first in that league so um you're you are a big todd Gurley fan um and you're also you're also obviously as i mentioned at first any coincidence there uh, I, I wish I had Todd Gurley in that league. There are a number of players I wish I had in that league. And uh, I, I look at it and somehow I'm first and I don't know how I'm first, but it's it's a 14-team league. And so I think I'm just used to looking at 12-team uh, leagues. And so my, my team looks thinner than I, I think it should, but somehow it's stacked up. But uh, I, I was very high on Gurley uh, entering the season. And a lot of that had to do with um, what I thought was an overreaction to his sophomore year campaign where uh, he was still getting touches, wasn't productive, but I think a lot of that had to do with the circumstances. And I was thinking of him kind of more directly as an arbitrage play on Melvin Gordon, where if you looked at their career numbers, they were actually fairly similar, but Melvin Gordon was going just so much higher in drafts uh, than uh, than Gurley was, but you could still reasonably project for this year uh, Gurley to get a good amount of volume, especially with Benny Cunningham there. I'm sorry, not there anymore, uh, and uh, Gurley likely therefore to get more action as a third down back. So yeah, liked Gurley. Uh, it didn't work out for me to get him in that league. Um, also, I really wanted Kamara and I didn't get him either. And I'm just kicking myself for not, you know, reaching around, but anyway, yeah, a number of players I, I didn't get that I wanted, uh, but still, you know, happily right now in first place. Well, who, who were the key picks then? And did you, did you have a, a strategy that maybe is more of a structural strategy as you went in, especially mentioning this is a 14 team league, you know, you're going to be thinner and did this contribute to your success at all? Or really has it been mostly that you made a bunch of good picks? Uh, you know, I really tried to take a very rotoviz type of approach uh, to this draft. One, because I think that's how I tend to draft anyway. But then also because, you know, like it's it's for uh, an expert league that has to do with podcasting on the Blog Talk Radio Network. And uh, I'm representing rotoviz. So uh, I, I tried to hold out on running backs absolutely as long as I could. Uh, and I, I made it only to the fourth round. <laughs> but But that's because so many people went so running back heavy in this draft. Uh, so I was picking uh, 10th and 5th. And so I went uh, AJ Green, Rob Gronkowski, and Alshon Jeffrey as the first three picks. And those have worked out reasonably well. Uh, 
Uh, and then in rounds four and five, I just had to grab a running back. Um, cause I mean, it was just, the position was getting pounded. So, uh, I grabbed Carlos Hyde there at, at pick 47. And frankly, I thought I was lucky to get him there, um, based on kind of the other running backs that were available there. And then I got Frank Gore in the fifth round and neither one of those guys has been exceptional, but they have been just good enough to keep. Uh, the running back position from being a liability. Uh, and then after that, I went after uh, a lot of upside wide receivers, <laughs> you know, some of like the, the, the standard Rotoviz guys like Jordan Matthews, John Brown, Corey Davis, <laughs> like none of those guys really paid off, but Robbie Anderson in round 10 has really paid off for me. And so I would say he's been one of the big difference makers. Uh, and then I've had a really good run of being able to stream quarterbacks. So I started out with Carson Palmer, who I drafted in the last round. Uh, I started out with him and, you know, at the time of his injury, he was actually, I think, top two or top three in the league in terms of pass attempts. Uh, I was able to pivot over from him to, I believe, uh, Josh McCown right after and I've just been writing the uh, Josh McCown, Robbie Anderson stack to to the playoffs. So who knows how long that's going to last? Um, but uh, right now, and then I've sort of filtered in and out some uh, some different running backs. I've I, you know I've been lucky to have some good kickers in there. Um, right now, I have I have Peyton Barber, uh, and you know he might be someone who actually catches fire in the playoffs, and I, I can use him and and you know maybe win a championship there, but. Yeah, it's it's a team that uh, has been good enough to win a lot of games. I'm not sure if it's good enough actually to win in the playoffs. Awesome. Well, we want to get into uh, this past week in the NFL. Before we do, though, uh, we have a new sponsor this week. Um, and Matt, you know, you're obviously a football expert, but you're telling me off air that you've become an expert in, in this uh, our specific sponsor here as well. Um, so well, I, I don't want to brag about it, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I did some research and, um, I, yeah, I was, I was interested by what I found. Right. And of course, uh, the, we're talking about high end women's lingerie is, uh, is your new field of expertise. So, um, but you know, this, this is actually pertinent to this podcast cause we're reading, we're reaching the holiday season here. And so, um, if you're looking to get your wife or girlfriend, something romantic, something totally different, celebrates the unique connection between you and her. You got to use luxury gift service called Enclosed, delivers designer lingerie to your lady on a monthly basis. It's like a flower of the month club or beer of the month club, but instead of flowers, she gets surprised with ultra high-end underwear. This is seriously high-end stuff. Uh, Very impressive stuff. Matt, you know all about this. Uh, In your research, what, what did you find here? So uh, in my research, there were a lot of customizable options. And one of the things that I thought was actually pretty cool was that you could um, indicate some of the options that uh, that you liked or that you think your wife or girlfriend would like. Uh, and then they can, like, uh, I guess, algorithmically with that information, come up with options that, that match uh, the preferences that you had. And then I think there's also like a size guarantee. So if for some reason they send something that doesn't work, then it can be sent back for the the right size. So I think stuff works out. And actually like a fringe benefit of all of this was that, um, so I did like the Google search on this and was researching and then <laughs> Google ads started like, I wouldn't say spamming me, but started like uh, imagining that I was a female looking at this, but I was able with the ads that I was seeing to come up with more ideas for Christmas presents uh, for oh, the wife. So I, that was, you know, like unintended benefit of this. Awesome. Well, right now uh, you can get $20 off enclosed holiday gift. If you go to enclosed lingerie.com, enter the code Rotoviz at checkout. That's enclosed lingerie.com with the code Rotoviz for $20 off the best holiday gift ever. All right, Matt, let's get into uh, with, a, with a seamless transition here the Rob Gronkowski cheap shot. And there was also this weekend a bizarre meltdown for Marcus Peters. So um, both plays seem to result from frustration with uh, the inconsistency of defensive holding calls, pass interference, illegal contact calls, etc. Um, the Chiefs were repeatedly penalized at the other end of their uh, Oakland and New York losses. Um, so, And Gronk's foul uh, occurred, occurred shortly after an offensive pass interference call when replays were frequently showing him being held uh, for 15 straight yards on play after play without getting any calls. So... What do you think 
is going on right now in the NFL in terms of what the defensive backs are, are being allowed to get away with here, um, it definitely seems like you know Gronk was reacting to some real frustration, obviously doing it in a really stupid way. But um, do you think we've almost sort of regressed in terms of the rules in, in what defensive backs can get away with in the NFL? I, to be honest, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, I have no idea. Like I tend to think of it, of the game that we have now as being a pretty wide open style where um, the offensive players get so much like the benefit of the doubt um, that it's hard for defensive backs in particular to play pretty strong defense the way that they might have like 10 or 20 years ago. So if, if there is an equity um, when it comes to the the Patriots and uh, defenders can just sort of hold them almost at will, especially uh, like, like a player like Gronk, then uh, that would be really intriguing. Uh, I haven't noticed it, but like full disclosure, I don't watch games as often as I probably should. Um, but that might be something that you guys have picked up on. I, w- I wonder if Sean has any thoughts on that. Well, I think some of these things you can't help but see through the lens of a fan, uh, both from, you know, sort of the hometown uh, perspective where you're rooting for your team. And then obviously the fantasy perspective where you're rooting for their players. I just remember for so long that Tony Gonzalez, you know, every time he would go out for a pattern that the defenders would just hold him and hold him and hold him. And the, the most frustrating thing was not even that, but that if he ever, you know, sort of used his arms to break free, from that hold, they would call offensive pass interference. And, and certainly, you know, growing up as a Chiefs fan, you watch those games, they have a, a big play that's going to determine whether or not they make the playoffs. You know, if they can finally win a playoff game, you know, back in the, the Vermeil era where they seem so close at times, you know, to lose those key plays when a guy is basically just breaking free from a bear hug. That, that's so frustrating. I, I, I guess I think more that one of the reasons, and, and certainly there are a variety of compelling reasons, certainly all the injuries that we've seen to quarterbacks this season, you can't lose the caliber of quarterbacks that we've lost and still get wide receiver production like we would like to see. But one of the other things that I think is causing a problem is that, you know, there maybe is a balancing out where defensive backs are being allowed to do a little bit more. And I do think it is frustrating because certainly there are some very blatant offensive pass interference plays where those should be called. But if a guy is being held, you look at someone like DeAndre Hopkins and he's someone who does push off quite a bit, but you know, there were multiple plays in the most recent game where like the only way that he could get his arms up to try and make a play on the ball was through a variety of, of punches and rips and, and all those kinds of things and, and didn't get the call still on most of those. I, you know, the, I'm mostly reacting as a fan to these, these chiefs plays because, you know, they had the Oakland Raiders game. They had this most recent jets game where, uh, they just were called for holding on play after play after play, extending games that it looked like they had won. And, and I have no doubt that those calls were all correct. But you watch some of the other plays that are going on and you kind of understand where Marcus Peters is coming from. Although Peters is obviously someone who has a variety of uh, issues with maintaining his composure that, you know, even going back to college have, have caused him some problems. But anyway, there's there's never any excuse for what Gronkowski did. And you were mentioning that he's on you know, your team in the Block Talk Radio. He's on my kitchen sink team, you know, tight end premium. Uh, we, we published a, an article today by Monty Fan, who's currently leading or finished the regular season of the FFPC in first place, uh, which, you know, that, that's an incredibly exciting accomplishment. Gronkowski is on his team. So uh, obviously there are a lot of fantasy owners who are out there hoping that that suspension gets overturned. And, you know, with, with how they reacted to the Michael Crabtree Akib Talib situation where they did decrease those suspensions by a game. Obviously for Gronkowski, if it gets decreased by a game, then you know he's back in. So I don't know, it, it creates a frustrating situation when you're watching and then a frustrating situation, I think, as a fan where certainly I think most people would believe that someone who did what he did should be suspended. At the same time, you know, so many of us don't want our fantasy playoff games to be decided quite like that. All right, let's move over to the Vikings, who at this point look like uh, the best team in the NFC. They did struggle offensively, though, against a Falcons defense uh, that has struggled on a per-play basis and was lacking Desmond Trufant. Stephon Diggs, um, 
Averaged over eight targets per game during the first three games, but hasn't hit that level in any individual game since. Uh, do you think this is a one-week aberration in terms of the offense, uh, or is the surprising success of Latavius Murray and Jarek McKinnon causing them to lean too much on the running game? It's interesting. I, I mean, I think, I don't know if they're relying too much on the running game, but um, maybe too much for the the desires of fantasy owners who would rather see Diggs and Thielen get more action than McKinnon and Murray. Um, but I think, a, you know, part of the problem as well as Keenum has played at quarterback, um, he's still not that great of a quarterback. I mean, I don't think he's in like the Bortles arena, but um, I don't think he's a guy that a team trusts to throw the ball. I don't know, you know, like 40 times a game. Uh, So I think as long as the Vikings are able to continue to win and to play sort of like quote unquote, like complimentary football where uh, their defense is able to play well enough for them to have the luxury of running the ball more than, anyone would really want them to as long as they can win with that formula I think they're going to continue to do it Pat we talked about this a couple weeks ago on the podcast and today Blair had an article talking about how teams are still running the ball way too much we look at a couple of the teams like the Vikings right now like the Saints right now and some of the teams that appear to be trying to emulate these teams who are running the ball so successfully and winning uh, but but are they really trying to to mimic the wrong parts of those teams would you say i mean the vikings have this great defense the saints have what really appears to be just an overpowering offensive line at this point unless you know you want to believe that the mark ingram is suddenly one of the best running backs in nfl history would you like to see these teams you know even outside of the fantasy perspective would you like to see these teams you know really try and hammer annihilate their opponents as opposed to you know eke out a few of these wins <laughs> uh it's interesting i mean i yeah i don't know that it's i mean so i guess the answer is yes but I think it's possible that the Saints actually might be better running the ball than throwing. And I know that seems so weird to say because they have Drew Brees, who I think is one of the best quarterbacks of NFL history and I think vastly undervalued, even though everyone knows that he's great. Um, but I think they might be better because their offensive line, I think, is probably better at run blocking Uh, And then they have, I don't think Ingram is really all that great, as you mentioned, but I think he's maybe good for the style of that offensive line. And then Kamara is just a superstar. Um, I don't like, I think Kamara is better than at running than Michael Thomas is at receiving, you know? And then if you look at the other options that the saints have at receiver, they don't have a tight end. Um, Ted Ginn is like a, a passable field stretcher. Like he's good in that role but they don't really use him that much. Uh, Sneed and Coleman, um, Sneed is intriguing, but I, I just, I don't know. Like, I think they actually might be better at running the ball than they would be at passing. And if they can do that to take some pressure off of their defense, maybe it makes sense. Like, I, I don't know. Like I, so I think that Almost every NFL team should throw the ball more than it does. But there is actually something remarkably satisfying about watching the Saints, who have been so pass-heavy for so long, run the ball and do it incredibly well and just annihilate teams on the ground. Like, I actually, I enjoy watching that. Like, morbidly, I enjoy watching that when I know I I shouldn't. Yeah, I mean, the Saints probably should be passing more because Alvin Kamara should not be doing what he's doing. I mean, what what he's doing is just insane. Like you can't, you really shouldn't be planning for that, but yet it's happening. So, um, you know, I, 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 but of course, because Kamara is just been such a superstar this year at the same time, I totally get why they're not moving away from that strategy. It's, it's working wonders. So, um, the other team like Keenum, you know, um, obviously the Jaguars are using this formula. Like I get, why the coaches are using that formula because they're trying to protect their quarterback who, you know, as you mentioned, Matt Keenum's played really well, but he's still Case Keenum. He's probably not that great still. Uh, Blake Bortles, obviously we know stinks. So uh, I think the saints with breeze could kind of unlock this 
extra level to their team, but they don't really have much incentive to move away from what they're doing right now, just given how incredibly successful the run game has been. Yeah, I mean, they've won nine out of 10 games. Um, and it's not as if that is the the marker of everything, right? That, like that number on its own, like a nine and one record in the past 10 games, like that's not entirely predictive, like a performance moving forward, but like they're, they're having success with what they're doing. And part of it is just because they are so efficient running the ball. And it, it would be hard to project that efficiency moving forward. Um, but it's, I don't know. It's, I mean, on, on top of the fact that like they have had success with it, like they are one of the rare teams where I enjoy watching them run the ball. Like that, that doesn't happen all that often. Most teams run the ball and I, I really dislike it. But with the Saints, maybe again, part of it is just because for so long they were such a pass heavy team. There's something really enjoyable about seeing them finally be able to run the ball when they need to. I think they're, they're probably going too far in the other direction though. I agree. It's been it's been a lot of fun to watch what they're doing offensively, especially if you have a little bit of exposure to one of those two backs. But it reminds me a little bit of Priest Holmes with the Chiefs, where the team is just running so successfully that I think there's sort of a, a joy in it or certainly an excitement and enjoyment that, that you get from watching because they're doing something that's just so hard to do at the NFL level, which is run the ball. So I should probably say selfishly um, that – I am what maybe one thing that makes me enjoy this all the more is that I was fairly high on Kamara. So, so I am enjoying his success, which I think, I mean, even if there were people who were bullish on him, who thought that he was maybe the long-term guy for the saints, I don't think many people were projecting him to have this type of success so early. And I mean, I definitely wasn't, although I was bullish on him. Um, but it, I think it's really exciting to see him have this type of success in year one. Yeah, it's been awesome. It's it's a lot like, you know, what Deshaun Watson was doing at wide receiver where you just you can't help but enjoy when the people are are breaking out to, to the level he is where, like you mentioned, he just is, is such a superstar. You mentioned being high on Kamara. We've got to bring up someone else that you were extremely high on, which is Derrick Henry. He's on my top NFFC team, but he's always on the bench because I have Rex Burkhead, who I can play in the running back two position. And so it really comes down to, to Derek Henry or someone like uh, Amari Cooper, who we discussed earlier in the flex. Um, Derek Henry, I mean, again, this week, he was someone where if you didn't play him, which I can't imagine too many people are, you made the right choice. I was watching the crawl and all of a sudden it flashed up his line of 11 carries uh, for a hundred and some yards and a touchdown. And the first thing I thought was, well, the Texans must have allowed him to run 80 yards for a touchdown when the game was over there, because obviously when the game was in play, he didn't do anything. And we mentioned Latavius Murray and I'm bringing him back up because I finally realized the other day who Derek Henry is. And I think it is Murray. And that's not going to appeal obviously to people who are, are Derek Henry fans, but these guys are both guys who are big and fast. I mean, Murray isn't quite that big, but but one of the reasons why he had such a great score in the Rotoviz prospect running back prospect lab is that he's a big, fast guy. But they both run like like small players, which isn't necessarily a criticism. But the coaching staff has to know that and and play him anyway, uh, which you know obviously the Titans are not doing. Yeah, so I, I hear what you're saying, and uh, sadly, I agree with you. The Latavius Murray comp makes a lot of sense and it's it's not one that I had thought of uh I think in part because maybe there are points when Murray has uh not this year or not even last year but in the past where he's looked competent as a receiver and we've never really seen much of that from Derrick Henry um I'm still you know like holding out hope though like I'm still you know like like Bishop Sankey or something I'm, I'm still delusional enough to think that at some point uh things might turn around and I mean Derrick Henry he's still in the aggregate has a pretty good uh yards per carry average of I think like first career around like 4.8 like that's I think that's viable even if you you know take into account like mentally calibrate that some of uh that production has been because of some long runs um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm still hoping that he has like some Michael Turner potential in him as opposed to Latavius Murray. Yeah. It's been weird what, what the Titans are doing there. Um, I, I feel like they should be using Henry more in my opinion, just to see like, I, like DeMarco Murray hasn't really looked good at all as a runner. And 
I don't know. It's been strange because they want to be this running team. They want to use that same formula that we were talking about earlier with that the, the Saints, the Vikings, the Jaguars are using. But they've just been so unsuccessful at doing that after being fairly successful doing it this year. So do you think that this is like re- potentially coaching related, uh, personnel related, offensive line related? Like if, if Henry was in a slightly better situation, do you think he he could thrive? Maybe. I mean, I think a big part of it is that DeMarco Murray, even though he's inefficient now as a runner, and I think a lot of that has to do, well, age definitely is a factor, but a lot of that has to do with just lingering injuries from the preseason, and they never let him rest that up, which I think was a massive mistake. But the edge that they have um, with DeMarco is that he is a competent receiver, uh, and so he can contribute in multiple facets, and that's something that like Henry probably is not equipped to do at this point and he might never be equipped to do it. So I understand from the the coaching perspective, why they would have Murray out there. Uh, At the same time, I think that that might be a little overrated um, in part because I think Henry just as a runner is so much better at this point than DeMarco is. I just want to make a a quick public service announcement. You mentioned Bishop Sankey, uh, which made me, Think of Jeremy McNichols, who's sort of my new Bishop Sankey. Recently promoted from the practice squad on the active roster for the 49ers, was inactive this past Sunday. So no buzz about him, but you could, you know, take a look. See if he's out there in your dynasty leagues. Uh, I think he's worth a pickup right now. Uh, <laughs> but So sad. <laughs> so, <laughs> come on, man. It could still happen. Uh, but let's move over to the uh, the Broncos, speaking of depressing, uh, <laughs> depressing situations. Um what do you think uh, the Broncos got to do here? I mean, Elway, after a couple of years of looking like a genius, is, is now looking kind of far from that. Um, what do they do at quarterback here? What do they do with this offense overall? I, I don't know. I don't think any of these guys is the answer. Um, in that game against the Raiders, who uh, entered it yet to have an interception, um, the Broncos were kind enough to give them their first interception of the year with Trevor Simeon. Um, you know, that was a couple of weeks ago. And then we just saw Trevor Simeon pretty much implode this last weekend. Um, so I don't, I don't think he's the answer, although he's probably been over the last year and a half or close to two years at this point, the best quarterback of that trio of guys. Um, but Brock Osweiler definitely isn't the solution. Uh, Paxton Lynch at this point, looking like he's not the solution, although we really haven't seen enough of him. And so, I mean, I think we can maybe still hold out some hope. I mean, he's started only what, like maybe three or four games in his career. Uh, I mean, I think look at where Jared Goff was last year. I mean, different circumstances. We would hope that uh, whoever is calling plays for him and, and scheming for him there uh, in Denver is more competent than Jeff Fisher was last year. But uh, I don't know. So I think there's still some potential there with Paxton Lynch just because we really haven't seen enough. But we have seen enough with Osweiler, and I think we've seen enough with Simeon to know that those guys aren't the guy. Um, But I don't think Lynch is the guy either. So uh, John Elway has had like a remarkable run of uh, quarterback incompetence after Peyton Manning. Um, And he's like he's done it so quickly. Like that was just like two years ago, but he's already cycled through like multiple guys who suck. Uh, Normally it takes, you know, like GMs and like it takes them like five years to do that. And he's done it in two. Um, So I I don't know. I mean, I I think it's too early for them to draft another quarterback, but like that's exactly what they need to do. They need to draft another quarterback. In Elway's defense, shouldn't you like, isn't that what you should do? Like cycle through multiple guys who suck instead of sticking with, one guy who sucks because then at least you know everyone sucks and then yeah i mean you can make other plans (laughs) yeah i think i think you should um but ideally if you cycle through enough guys that quickly you would find one that doesn't suck um and and maybe I, i don't know i mean i think the guy i think here is what is the strangest the guy that they've invested the most in paxton lynch is the guy who's gotten the least amount of playing time and I think he's the guy who should have gotten the most playing time. That way you could you could see if if the guy you invested in heavily actually has some some potential or not. Because the way it is now, they still really don't know in terms of live NFL action what Paxton Lynch can give them. But they they're in a position of really needing to draft another quarterback. All right, we'll be back with more from Matt 
after this quick break. Fantasy football fans, listen up. If you love fantasy football, then you need to try my new favorite app, Draft. Here's how it works. You do a draft that lasts for just one week, and there's no management. Just set it and forget it. Once you're done drafting, that's it. No trades, no waiver wire. Draft even takes care of last-minute injuries for you. Drafts start every couple minutes, so you could join one right now. And the best part? You play for cold, hard cash. Drafts start from just $1, so there's a draft for everyone. There's no salary caps, so you play in real-life snake drafts, just like you would with your friends in a season-long league. So come in, join me, draft against me on Draft Today. Download the app anytime. Just search Draft in your app store and join a game in minutes or play right from your computer on PlayDraft.com, whatever you want. For a limited time only, all new players get a free entry into a draft when you make your first deposit. But you have to use the promo code RVRADIO. That's right. Play a real money game for free just for using my promo code RVRADIO on your first deposit on Draft. Just search Draft in the App Store or go to PlayDraft.com and come play free with promo code RVRADIO. I wanted to make sure we had time to talk talk rookies a little bit. We have with us the creator of the Workhorse Metric and uh, someone who really enjoys and participates in all of the rookie evaluation and is excellent at it. Matt, you and I just participated in a 2018 rookie mock with the guys from Dynasty Command Center, and you made what I think some people would consider surprise selections of David Sills and Miles Gaskin at 111 and 211. Uh, can you take us through what your thought process was when you were looking at those specific guys at those spots? Yeah, so I I knew David Stills, uh, David Sills rather was going to be uh, fairly contrarian, um, but based on what I was looking at, he, I mean, I think he's a top three, top five uh, wide receiver right now, and I, I guess I should say in general, I think the the class um, after the number one pick, which I, I think is pretty clearly Barkley, uh, it it levels out pretty quickly. Um, so I didn't really like many of the other options available right there. Uh, and I, and just in general, uh, strategically, I tend to prefer going with wide receivers to running backs, uh, in dynasty settings. Uh, so Sills, what he really has going for him, uh, are a couple of things. It's with these guys, it's hard to know in college what their true measurements are. But I think he's, you know, I'm a former quarterback, uh, quarterback. Uh, so anywhere from you know, like 6'3 to 6'5 is where I've seen him listed. Anywhere from like 200 to 205 ish, 207 pounds. Uh, and this is his first year playing receiver, and he's already a Bolitnikov finalist. So, uh, like that, like that makes me think like Michael Crabtree. Like that's the type of, and maybe that's not even the best comparison because Crabtree hasn't really turned into a great NFL player, but um, like in his first year, he already has 18 touchdowns at the position Uh, in terms of a market share number. That is just huge. It's, it's over 50% of the receiving touchdowns at West Virginia. Uh, And he's doing that in just his first year at the position and he's draft eligible. So he was a quarterback his first year at West Virginia, left the school uh, to play at JUCO in California as a quarterback, hoping to be able to catch on as a quarterback at another school. It didn't work out. He came back to West Virginia and immediately started crushing as a wide receiver. Like my idea is that if I can get a guy who has that type of body and, and the type of quarterback mind uh, in a wide receiver who is that productive in his first year of college competition or just like his first year ever playing that position uh if he's draft eligible and he declares he's someone i'm going to be really interested in yeah and i had to google david sills because i'm not a big college football guy but uh yeah just 21 so it's not you know you're with this story here of him kind of leaving coming back you you might expect him to be a bit older than that so nice to see that he's still still pretty young yeah and then for the the second pick uh miles gaskin Uh, I should say that there were uh, a number of other running backs that I liked more than Gaskin, but they were off the board in the second round. I was picking near the bottom of the second round. Um, But one of the things I do like about Gaskin, and I mean, I got to say this, it's, I know, I already know this is going to end up being like Bishop Sankey over again. 
Um, he's just got like a Bishop Sankey type of body, like uh, not big, like 5'10", 203 pounds is what he's listed at right now. Um, from you know, Washington. From uni- yeah, from University of Washington. So, I mean, granted, I, there's some bias there, some selection bias where I'm just automatically thinking of <laughs> Bishop Sankey. But, you know, he's been productive for three straight seasons. You know, ever since he, he came to University of Washington, he was productive. Um, he hasn't been a huge contributor as a receiver, but he's improved as a receiver each year. And his running ability, um, just in terms of the numbers, has been unquestioned. So uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I like him as a potential guy who could get drafted in maybe like the third round or something like that. I mean, obviously all this is contingent on uh, his athletic testing, um, but I, I think he has some potential there as, as a workhorse. Matt, you and I have had a lot of really entertaining and fun prospect debates on Real <laughs> throughout yeah. the years. And one of the things that, well, I'm... <laughs> Every time I I need a little uh, little boost, I go back and, and read our our Chris. That's one of my yeah. all time favorites. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and uh, Corderell Patterson, you won that one too. <laughs> and I, the thing that I was always bringing me down was that I just felt so completely and totally crushed on Kelvin Benjamin versus Devin Funchess, and then that trade mid season, it just, it, it was like this magical event. It was. Yeah. You, you, you keep on getting these long-term like long range victories. I just, I need to stop talking about prospects with you. <laughs> well, I, I was distracted in the middle of the, the podcast for a second there because I've got one, one of the previous games running and they were showing Marquise Lee highlights. So <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that felt like a special man. serendipity in terms of, of timing it. No, the thing that stands out to me about your prospect evaluation, which I, I think is, is something to really, um, I think having things that you can have as a foundation or, or really latch onto and understand what they mean can be very helpful. And, and the thing that stands out to me about the things that you value and prospects are these physical attributes that will really stand out even at the NFL level which, you know, a lot of the players that, that come to the NFL, you know, we are baking on production and production does matter. It matters more than people think, but which in some ways, you know, should be intuitive. If, if you're going to dominate in the NFL, I mean, you need it to be a good college player. If you can't dominate in college, your chances of doing that at a level that is just so much more difficult, I think is just very low. But then you can also take that and say, you know, how is this player going to stand out? Because there are so many good players in the NFL. And you have always really preferred these guys who either have blazing speed or just monstrous size. Would would you say that that's a fair assessment of what you're looking for? And on the flip side, is there a specific pitfall in prospect evaluation that you would kind of warn dynasty players against? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so as as you guys both know, I'm a pretty big Harry Potter nerd. So I would say that it's um, like like Voldemort when he's Tom Riddle. It's not so much that like I um, I seek out these players. It's like it's like snakes find me. Like that they find me and they speak to me. Is that normal for someone like me? Like, uh, that's just kind of like how I am. Like I, I look and these, uh, these small receivers with blazing speed, they find me. Um, and I, I'm, you know, I just can't help but like fall in love with them. Uh, and, and the same thing with like these big guys. And sometimes it works out and they turn into like Mike Evans, um, you know, and then sometimes they turn into Kelvin Benjamin and it doesn't work out quite as well. Um, but yeah, that's something, I, I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I, it's just a pattern like those. And I wouldn't say like, I'm drawn exclusively to guys like that, but, um, I think maybe it, it's an interesting situation where I think like the, maybe the market of like fantasy or draft Nick voices does a really good job of covering, all of like the receivers in between. And maybe it's just that like my voice seems to stand out more when it comes to like some of the, like the fringe or outlier type of receivers, uh, just because there maybe aren't as many people talking about them. Or maybe I, I talk about them a little bit louder just because there aren't as many people talking about them when I, I think there should be. So that would have been someone like John Brown or someone like JJ Nelson or, or T.Y. Hilton back in the day. And um, I mean, it doesn't always work out, um, but, you know, sometimes sometimes it does. Um, 
you, you asked the question about um, maybe pitfalls of prospect evaluation. Um, I, I don't know if this is really like a direct answer to the question, but I think one of them would be to always uh, keep in mind the the possibility, if not the probability, that you're incorrect <laughs> with, with with your evaluation. Uh, and I guess I, maybe I'm talking to me directly, <laughs> but um, I mean, what we think we know about these players um, might not be accurate. Uh, And especially after we start to see some NFL, uh, some representative NFL action, um, you know, we might be proven wrong pretty quickly. And so I, it's weird. I try to have sort of like this dichotomy of sticking to my pre-draft evaluations, even in the face of uh, massive NFL failure. <laughs> so like I will go to my grave thinking that Bishop Sankey was probably a good NFL player <laughs> or like should have been a good NFL player. So like I, like, I, I try to be steadfast um, or not give up my NFL evaluation too quickly. But on the other hand, like I, I do try to move off of my, my evaluation Um if I, if I see like good evidence or good reason for why I just massively was wrong on a guy, I think it's, it's easy for people maybe to, to err one way or the other to stick with their evaluation when they shouldn't, uh, or to move off of their evaluation too quickly. Like it's, it's like a teeter totter, like balancing act. And it's really hard to be right in the middle, but that's kind of where you have to be. Yeah, that's that's great advice. Um, you mentioned, you know, the the T.Y. Hilton, the John Brown. Those are both excellent calls that you've made in the past. Is anyone kind of deeper in this class starting to jump out to you? As you mentioned, you know, has anyone found you here? Kind of the the smaller uh, wide receiver with blazing speed prototype that you look at, or or kind of a workhorse running back that might go later in the draft. You know, uh, those types of guys that you you tend to gravitate to. Um. So. There's a guy um, who he's not small, um, but he's uh, okay. So the way I can actually, I'm not going to try to make that analogy. So his name is Jamon Moore, which I think is funny because it's very similar to John Moore, who is the other uh, original co-host of Road of His Radio. Uh, But Jamon Moore from Missouri. Uh, so a, a guy in an SEC school who right now has a thousand yards receiving and 10 touchdowns and he's a senior, like he's going to be in the NFL draft. Uh, and he's six, three and 205 pounds. At least that's what he's listed at. So, you know, listed with good size, uh, you know, reasonable production. This is his second year of over a thousand receiving yards, sec receiver. No one is talking about him. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know, like, I will just be curious to see how he tests athletically. Um, there was a guy I was really interested in, uh, Ampa, uh, Amba Edateau, um, last year who had just outrageous production, went to the combine, had good athleticism, uh, decent size, went undrafted, like no one seemed to pay attention to him. And so I could see, uh, Jamon Moore just being a guy, no one pays attention to him. Um, and I will just be totally wrong on my assessment of him, but just kind of based on, uh, the conference based on his size, his college production, uh, back-to-back years of a thousand receiving yards, like he seems really interesting to me. And I don't, I don't know why no one is talking about him. That's really interesting since that's a, that's a player I drafted at the end of our, uh, 2017 Debbie, uh, draft in the league that I, that I play in with, with Wes Huber. I was wondering that as well about an SEC player who had that type of production and just doesn't seem to be generating any buzz is that potentially that Missouri is almost still not seen as a real SEC school, even though they've been in the conference title game a couple times uh, and, or that they have a very pass heavy offense, especially this year, they threw for a ton of yards. And so his market share numbers are not quite as strong as they would be otherwise. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think part of it also is that, but uh, we have to be careful about these splits because now I'm just having like Odell Beckham Jr. flashbacks, but like a lot of his production came against schools that aren't in the SEC. Um, Granted, I should say there's a big difference between Odell Beckham and Jamon Moore. So, but uh, like you have to be careful about these splits. But so I think some people aren't really looking at his production all that much just because 
a lot of the production came against like Missouri State and then Idaho and Connecticut. So schools that aren't in the SEC or aren't even in like a major conference. So I think that's a reason why his production is being discounted. But yeah, I will just be curious to see how he tests athletically. And I think your point about people thinking of Missouri as not a uh, like a legit school, even though it's been in the SEC and you know it plays SEC competition, uh, I think that's well taken. I think that's a big part of it, just playing one at that school and then in a system uh, that people might discount. All right. Well, uh, just to finish up here, what are your thoughts on this class overall? You mentioned that, you know, after Barkley at number one, it levels out a little bit. But in terms of overall strength, where do you see it? Um, and and where do you think the kind of crowd evaluation on it is? is? Is it overrated, underrated? How do you view this class? Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm a rookie optimist and I'm, I'm the guy who always um, collects draft picks. Uh, it's, it's like a, it's a disease really. So, I mean, I don't think it's as strong as the 2017 class, but I don't know. There are some guys who are intriguing. Um, Royce Freeman from Oregon, he's intriguing. Like there are some guys who could go later in the draft, um, who might end up providing some value. So I, I think it's not as good as what we saw in 2017, uh, or maybe even 2016. Um, but I don't know. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still always interested in rookies. So I'm, I'm probably the wrong person to ask because I'm, I'm going to overvalue every rookie class. You mentioned that you had a couple other running backs sort of earlier in that second round, the second round, I think the first round is so flat after one Oh one. Uh, but then it, it extends, I think, deep into the second round. So that one of the things that I've been looking to do this year, since it's so much cheaper, anything that has a round two label is so much cheaper than a round one label, is try and stockpile those picks. Uh, give us a quick sense of who the running backs were that you would have liked to have gotten uh, in that second round area. Yeah, so uh, Royce Freeman is someone I, I mentioned there. Um uh, just so, so productive. And you took him at the the top of the second round. Um, I think it's, <laughs> I, I don't know why more people aren't talking about him. Like I, he has four straight years of just incredible production at Oregon. And it's across multiple coaching staffs. Um, he's never been an outrageously good receiver, but he's been competent each year. Um, I mean, I think he he's shown well enough as a receiver consistently enough where it's not a check against him. Um, but yeah, I mean, a guy who has over 1,500 scrimmage yards three out of four years, the one year being the year he was injured uh, and missed some games, um, that guy is going to be interesting to me. And then especially when he's six feet and over 230 pounds, closer to 240 pounds, like my mind will just start going crazy about guys like that. And, and the, the rumor is it's hard to know, uh, but you know, it's hard also to look at how these guys performed athletically in high school, because I think so much can change when they're in college. Um, but I think Freeman is also a pretty good athlete. So he's, he's someone, I mean, I was interested in taking him in the first round. Um, but if he had fallen, he was the main guy I was really hoping to get in the second round. And I think like, it's, um, a sign of how unrealistic I, I maybe am right now at looking at these guys that I thought he might have a chance of slipping to the second round, um, later, you know, the second half of the second round, but he's, he's a guy that I'm really interested in, just massively interested in. And, uh, I, again, in rookie drafts, if he falls to the second round right now, I really like that value. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Matt. Everyone, make sure to follow Matt on Twitter at Matt F. The Oracle. Uh, check out Fantasy Labs. Check out all of their great tools as well. Um, Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio, the flagship Rotoviz podcast. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com slash radio.
Technology Truths, brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth. Teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis. How was the birthday party? Pizza slice, kitten, soccer ball, pineapple? Truth. It's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at GEICO.com. What are you talking about? Paperclip, shoulder shrug, high five, wizard hat? What? GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Geico presents Yikes, another voicemail from your roommate. Sup, roomie? Hey, a pipe burst in the basement. It's completely flooded. Anyway, I called for someone to fix it, but in the meantime, I was thinking we could finally have that indoor pool party we've always wanted. I got some cool swan floaty things already going. Could you pick up some chips on your way home? Later. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected. Like if your roommate isn't the brightest pool float in the flooded basement. Visit Geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings. A four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th. Only on Showtime.